0: Today we're going to continue on in 1 Corinthians uh, through our study. But first we're going to do a little bit of a a recap. So last week in chapter 1, this was verses 1 through 9, we learned that regardless of how wicked the members of the church in Corinth were, they were still a church of God and they were saints by calling. And Paul was holding them to that calling. Now, remember, if you are truly saved, Michael went over this last week, you are a saint and it should be undoubtedly evident in your life to everyone you meet, to your family, your friends, your co-workers, um, everyone, it should be obvious. And these days, when you ask just about anyone what it means to live the Christian life, um, they'll respond with something kind of, topical. And, and the typical Christian answer is usually, well, we're supposed to love Jesus the way people, or, or, way he, or loved people the way Jesus loved people. And, and like I said, that's kind of the typical Christian answer. Um, and everybody knows that Jesus was a very nice guy. I mean, there are even, you don't have to read the Bible to know that. The, uh, even atheists, who do admit that Jesus existed, will also admit that he was a nice guy and maybe even admit that he was a good example of how we are to live our lives uh, and treat others even. Uh, So even the enemies of God, which that's what the Bible calls us before we are saved uh, and before we ask him to be the Lord of our lives, we are enemies of God. So even if the enemies, of God agree that um, you know, it, we should strive to love our neighbor as ourselves, is it sufficient to say that that's what living the Christian life is all about? Uh, because really, that's the standard for everyone, it seems like these days. And this misunderstanding of Scripture is the very reason why sin is being embraced in churches all across the world today. Loving your neighbor as yourself has become a pretty like, basic virtue uh, in most cultures and, and uh, especially right here in the United States. The golden rule, you know, as we call it, has been adopted by just about every pagan and secular group that you can think of. Be kind and, and love one another has become the mantra, mantra of the LGBT movement. Um, And it was even the motto of the celebrity icon, Ellen DeGeneres, until it came out that she was actually quite the opposite. Um, And uh, please don't misunderstand this. Loving your neighbor as yourself is a very, very important virtue and aspect of Christianity, but it certainly is not the most important, nor is it the pinnacle of who we are. And I'll get to that in, in just a second. Uh, in Mark chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. I'll read, I'll read it to you. Uh, but this is just Jesus. He's, he's telling the scribe um, what the most important commandment is. And he says, First and foremost, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. <clears throat> and then second to that commandment, he tells us you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So biblically, You cannot have one without the other. You can't separate those two. Uh, And Scripture tells us everything we need to know about accomplishing this task. Again, like I said earlier, if you are truly saved, you are a saint. And it should be evident to everyone in your life. Um, And your love for God should outshine your love for everything else in every aspect of your life. Therefore, loving your neighbor as yourself just as any commandment is automatic. Those things happen. It's not something that really uh, you have to work towards as, as though, even though our flesh um, always tends to lead us to do the opposite. I struggle with that myself. Um, but when, you, when you, your passion for the Lord grows, your love for humanity grows too. It's, it's just, like I said, automatic. Uh, and that is what being a Christian is all about. The the lordship over your life being completely evident. So evident in fact that it should draw people toward the gospel. So in the context of the Corinth church the church in Corinth, um, there were a lot of things that were happening within that church that we're bringing that validity into question, uh, which was the whole point of 1 Corinthians, the whole point of this letter to the church. Now, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you're not already there. And today, we're going to be covering three verses. And, you know, whenever we were first talking about doing, about preaching expositorily, I was wondering, how can we do an entire sermon over... Uh, over a few verses, e- even one verse, it's just, um, it's, it seems impossible. But as you get into the language and as you get into the references in your Bible, so I have a, a, a John MacArthur commentary Bible. and But before you even get into another person's commentary, you should look at the references on the insides of the page because so often those things that are being stated are also referenced all throughout the the, um, the Old Testament all the time, and the New Testament from an earlier period. So it's pretty amazing to see those parallels. Um, but we're going to cover three, th- three verses today. We'll start here at verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So these things. I'm sorry, four verses, not, th- not three, four verses. These four verses, um, they give us some context that we can look at in the, the, ch- the church in Corinth, but also it's kind of like a mirror that we can use to see how we are to be the church today in, in this day and age. So as we know, uh, the Corinthians were guilty of uh, a lot of things. And, and in fact, most of us probably would have addressed the issue with incest first, um, as, we meant, as I mentioned in the overview of 1 Corinthians, that was a big issue that was happening that needed to be addressed. But notice he didn't. That's not the first thing he addressed. Um, Paul addresses the unity in the church, the, the, or disunity, actually. Um, and it seems so obvious that, that that's what the Lord was pulling to the front. First and foremost, this is the issue that needs to be addressed first. Um, and unity is a funny thing because it really draws people. People are drawn to unity. Uh, it's, it's what makes the military so attractive to young men and women. Um, and it, I mean, it's the very thing that attracted me to the military. And it's the same thing that attracts a, a child to a, a sports team, um, like football or something where you know there's, there's a bit of a battle going on, you're defending your team, and that That unity is attractive, Uh, and sadly, it's it's even what attracts some people who have kind of lost everything to uh, to join cults or um, or groups that might embrace their sin rather than call them out on their sin. So it's it's this they stand in unity uh, and even do parades and and things like that, and people are attracted to that that uh, brotherhood, if you will. So. Uh, uh, unity is a brotherhood, and it's also a fellowship, and people love to to stand in unity. Uh, Soldiers uh, fight side by side on the battlefield in unity, and and an offensive line does everything they can in their power to protect their quarterback. Um, And like I said, broken people who have lost everything, they they run to a, a, a dangerous, evil cult that's ready to embrace them because There's disunity in their life. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Just like the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, has been hijacked straight from Scripture, so has Jesus' words, a house divided will not stand. So there's so many things that you could see that come from Scripture, from God's Word, that is used everywhere in, in uh, in the secular, I guess you'd say, space. Did you hear that? Yeah. That was weird. Anyway, uh, so in that in that secular realm, we, we see God's word being used quite frequently. Um, and it seems like every other organization gets it and understands it, except for so many churches these days uh, and Christians alike. And that's something that we need to remind ourselves constantly of. Um, but it doesn't mean that these organizations get it right all the time. In fact, there's an article that was published by Inc.com um, that states that 96% of businesses fail within the first 10 years. Uh, and I, this sounds weird. Bear with me, though. I'll bring it home in a second. They they fail. 96% fail within the first 10 years. And 50% of those fail um, after two years in business. So half of those businesses fail after the first two years. Uh, they're gone.
1: So the majority of
0: people who start a business you would think would be considered business savvy. They, uh, they have degrees in business or they have read all the books that the, the business gurus have thrown out there. Um, they Uh, They have mentors to help them, guide them in their business decisions. They've mastered the programs and put systems into place to basically guarantee their success. But still, 96% of them fail. Why? Why does that happen? These people are sharp. They're determined, aggressive, and maybe even a little obsessed with their line of work. You have to be. Um, But they still fail. And... The article goes on to offer a few obvious possibilities of that statistic. But when, uh, when you re- get down to, the, down to the very bottom of it, it chalks it up to one final assessment. And they say it's disunity. It's uh, the people, the CEO, the employees, the managers. They no longer are striving or fighting for the same thing that they once did. Uh, and they get complacent and they get selfish. The, the sin which we know we all have. Uh, This fleshly pride has crept in and told someone that they deserve more than what they were getting or they weren't being listened to enough. Um, And arguments and disagreements turn to HR violations and uh, terminations and maybe even lawsuits. And it splits. Now, I know it sounds like you just stepped into a a a business workshop of some sorts. Uh, But I'm about to drive this point home. It doesn't matter if your organization is of two people or 200 uh, or 2,000. It's still being ran by flawed, fleshly broken individuals. We're totally depraved. We're egoistic and we're egotistic creatures of self um, from the day we're born. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we'll see how desperately humanity needs a savior. And so coming back to all of that, now now we're putting Jesus right in the center of it. So given this statistic, the statistic of 96% fail within the first 10 years, take 13 average Joes, complete nobodies, no business experience, they're just fishermen and tax collectors, uh, and a guy who persecuted the very one he ultimately will die for. Uh, Now, by these statistics, that organization known as the church shouldn't have lasted past 10 years, let alone 2,000. And not to mention the thousands of attempts on the church to stomp it out by persecution, Bible burnings, and death to Christians and Jews alike. Uh, Yet the Bible is the highest selling book of all time, with an estimated five billion units sold and distributed, five billion. The only book that comes anywhere close is, uh, ironically, the Quran. But the Quran has only sold eight hundred million. So, by the, do the math, the Bible has sold six point two five more times than the Quran has. Uh, And to give you a little perspective, A Tale of Two Cities has sold 200 million copies. The Book of Mormon has sold around 190 million copies. And the first book in the Harry Potter series sold 120 million. So think of the popularity of of those books and the the small amount considerably to the Bible's sales. Um, the Bible's been around for a very long time and you, you can see God's work in it. And, and so this is where we're talking about unity. <clears throat> so with God's hand in this work, no matter how special we think we are, no matter what Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Stephen Furtick tells you, which his real name is Larry. I don't know if you guys knew that. I just found that out. Uh, his name is Larry Furtick. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Uh, no matter what those guys tell you, that greatness is not in you. It's not in us. We we are humans and we're fallen and we're broken. Um, None of this from the Bible, from the church that's being built, is from human intellect or ingenuity or business growth tactics. Uh, In fact, I feel like those things, when put into practice in the church, cause disunity in the church. It brings in people who weren't led there by the Holy Spirit or by the Lord, but because an ad popped up on Google or something like that. So we we need to be careful in thinking that, okay, we we have this knowledge that is above and beyond. Therefore, we need to use it to build the church. No, God is building the church. Christ is building the church. And He has and He will continue to do so. The success of God's Word in this world is in Christ, in Christ alone. And he, all He calls us to do is, uh, is unify. Unify, stand strong as a church together and preach His Word. So let's get into the verses. Let's get into the verses of 1 Corinthians verse 10. Um, And we'll see if we can get some idea of how we should unify in the body of Christ. Verse 10, uh, in my New American Standard Bible, it uses the words exhort. But your Bibles may say appeal or urge or beseech. Uh, And so in this verse, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So put, put simply, Paul is pleading to the church, but he doesn't just do so as Paul. He does it, his plea is by the name of Jesus Christ. So once again, we're seeing that Paul uses his apostleship to proclaim his authority in the church, or to the church in Corinth. Uh, and, and so this wasn't just a guy speaking his mind and his feelings, uh, telling you how he feels. This was instruction coming directly from God. Uh, so let's continue uh, in verse 10 that you all agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So he hasn't even brought up the specific issue yet uh, that he is going to address. But instead, he makes a general statement about that basically covers any and all divisions in the church. And it echoes Jesus's prayer right before he is about to be crucified Uh, That we read earlier in John that says that they may all be one, even as you father are in me and I in you. And we learned last week that there were many men proclaiming a false theology and Paul's emphasis Unity is for sound doctrine. So when he says that you all agree, that all we all agree on the same thing is that we know what God is saying to us and we believe what Jesus did on the cross and we don't stray from that. We don't put ourselves in the middle of that. So this sound doctrine is very, very important within the church. And without that, the church is weak and vulnerable to outside sources, people coming in and causing disunity, and 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 it creates a lot of problems. So, continuing on to verse eleven, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. So, this this term brethren, he used he uses it twice just in these four uh, these four verses, and it's translated from the word adelphi. It's a word that communi- communicates a deep love and compassion for another Christian brother. Uh, So knowing this, you can hear the love and compassion that uh, that Paul has for these people. Um, And even as he's correcting their behavior, it teaches us that correction and discipline, they go hand in hand with love and discipleship. They have to. If your child is out playing in the street, you don't let them continue uh, because that's what they want, and because that's because you love them. No, you you bring them to correction and discipline, uh, and get them out of the street because you love them. And it seems like our world today wants to do the 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 one before. Um, we'll let people do what they want because that's how they feel they want, and, and we'll just let them play in the street. And that's a very very dangerous tactic. Um, and. As far as Chloe, whenever it brings up uh, by Chloe's people, it's believed by most scholars that it's, it's some sort of female that has a prominence in the church. Um, but there were also males with that same name at that time. So we don't really know. But Paul was either visited by someone of her family or her group, um, or he was, he was written to about this issue. That was happening in Corinth. And at the time, he was in Ephesus. So uh, Paul hears that they're basically having a uh, sort of pointless disagreements, things that really don't matter. And uh, Todd Friel, who is a, a, a radio host, um, one of my favorites, he says they're, they're making a thing out of a thing that's not a thing. And, and we do that a lot in the church. We do that a lot out of the church. Uh, we do it in our families. We do it with our friends. Uh, now, there's certainly some things that Scripture tells us we are to make a thing out of those things. Uh, so go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 16. We're going to read 17 through 19. This is Romans, is right before 1 Corinthians. Uh, and Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and they've had some issues with false teachers. Uh, the difference here is that in Romans, Verses 1, um, those letters are pretty small, aren't they? Uh, the, the bottom ones. I'll fix that next time. Uh, the difference here in Romans versus 1 Corinthians is that Paul is rejoicing over their obedience and their success for how they approached these false teachers. And it, at, least may, at least one, maybe multiple, uh, teachers came proclaiming a false, false gospel to the church in Rome and we don't know exactly what happened but it's clear that whatever the church in Rome did they responded to these false teachers correctly and it was it was kind of making its waves through the area people were talking about it so verse 17 now i urge you brethren there's that word again deep love and compassion Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. I'm going to pause right there. It's so easy for us to be distracted by our own appetites. And it's so easy for us to mislead others by our own appetites, our own thoughts, our own desires, our own heart. Uh, And that's exactly what has happened. I I truly believe that some of these false teachers that Paul was talking about there were there because, I mean, with good intentions. But you know what they say about good intentions. And um, it often leads to destruction. So we'll, we'll continue on. So, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. So, Paul knows that these false teachers are either still around or they will be back, and even though he is rejoicing in their obedience and their success, he offers that firm warning uh, to remain wise, to look out for these wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, Let's get back to 1 Corinthians. So scripture is very clear that there are some things that need to be addressed, things that we need to make a thing of, uh, and even divisive things. Things that are divisive within the church. This is chapter 1, verse 10 10 through 13 again. Um, Even things divisive within the church. And false teaching and heresy is absolutely one of those things. Um, God's truth and people's salvation is far too important to overlook these issues. Uh, And we should totally separate ourselves from those who preach that gospel or teach it. But the church at Corinth, they were making a thing out of a thing that's not a thing. Uh, these were secondary issues. They were not, it's not theology. It's not biblical principles. It's not a, even a matter of heresy. Uh, they were simply being used as tools of our enemy to break up the church and cause disunity within, causing arguments and, and disagreements. And, uh, and far too often we see that. Today as well, my brother, uh, who is a a youth pastor at another church, he and I have some disagreements, and there have been times that it has strained our relationship. But we sh- we I shouldn't have let that happen. I sh- we shouldn't have let that happen uh, because there it wasn't a matter of his uh, salvation or what he's teaching that, that salvation. Uh, it wasn't biblical uh, doctrine. It wasn't theology. It was kind of gr- gray, gray areas in the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach us what music you can or can't listen to. It doesn't tell us uh, you, you know, what kind of events that we can attend. It's not super clear on that. So we have to use our, our better judgment to decide if that's for us or if it's not for us. Uh, But we should not let it divide us. And and standing here in front of you today, I wish I hadn't had arguments with my, my youngest brother about those things. But here are some examples that I see that are causing disunity in the church today. Things that we shouldn't be making a thing out of. Masks and vaccines. That's a big one. Uh, you hear people talk. It's 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 being divisive in businesses, in government. Um, it's it's a thing, but not things that Christians should be divided over. Uh, you hear people talk about it as if it was it was doctrine. You might hear people say, "Oh, they don't require masks." Yeah, you know, I thought they were. Really biblically sound, but now I'm just not so sure. Or can you believe that they require masks? What kind of Christians are they? Where's their faith in Jesus? I don't need a vaccine. I got Jesus. You know, here's the thing is that it's a personal choice that God allows us as Christians to make. It doesn't tell us in the Bible if we, if we take the vaccine or if we don't. But we can use our better judgment through Christ, knowing what we should do or what we should not do. But I cannot go and tell a, another Christian, hey, you're not, you, don't, you're not, you don't belong here in this church because you're not wearing a mask or because you are wearing a mask. Um, we have to be unified in Christ. Another thing is church politics. And this one probably hits pretty close to home to most of us in here. Church politics it's simply not a thing, not a thing that we should allow to divide. People get their feelings hurt all the time in churches. And I, for one, have personally been, uh, been hurt, uh, but it's a pride issue. It's what I was feeling on the inside. Someone thinks, usually it's someone thinks that their idea wasn't heard or appreciated enough. Maybe someone was picked for a role that you wanted in the church or maybe a certain issue wasn't addressed the way that you wanted it to be addressed. And that's ego. That's, that is something that, that is our flesh. And far too often we allow our ego to direct our steps instead of the Lord. And when we do that, we're not walking in the Spirit as we're called to walk in the Spirit. And when you start to feel those feelings, whether it's jealousy or annoyance or sadness or maybe even anger or rage, do this. Ask yourself this question. Did this person sin against me? Is this an actual, did they sin against me? Did they sin, this act, did they sin against God? Did they do something that would, that is cause for repentance to God? More than often, uh, more often than not, uh, that person did not commit a sin against you, and it's it's our feelings that get hurt. It's our flesh, it's our pride that gets hurt, and so that coming from our ego, that that creates divisions. It's that flesh we allow our our flesh to be exposed. And that's what caused divisiveness in our church and and disunity. Uh, But if a person does commit a sin, truly a sin against you, um, we're still not allowed to seek wrath or vengeance. We can't. That's what the, the, the world would do. But as Christians, we are called to be something completely different. And... As much as you might want to, as much as I might want to, we can't give in to those desires. Uh, then you, both of you have sinned. Mm-hmm. If that person sins against you and now you're angry and you seek vengeance, now you both sin and your guys are on equal, on equal ground. Uh, the world thinks we should split everything up and put them into little boxes. We, we've got the Christians over here and the atheists over here and in this Christian box, we've got other little boxes for denominations, and within those denominations, we've got other little boxes talking about race and gender and, uh, and political affiliation. We should throw all those things out. All of them. Because we're, we're the church unified as Christ prayed for us to be. We have to seek that. So God tells us something, something different. And as Christians, we are unified in Christ. It doesn't matter your skin color or your gender or your political affiliation. We are all one. And that's what Jesus prayed for. So let's continue on to verse 12. Now, I mean this, that each one of you saying, I am of Paul and I of Apollos and I of Cephas, who is the apostle Peter, by the way, and I of Christ, so Paul is, direct, or is addressing the specific issue now. Uh, the, the Corinthians have created these factions within the church, very similar to the, the church politics that I mentioned earlier. And uh, by the quotations that Paul uses, it, it kind of states that they use these as a motto. I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos. And, and they use that in their arguments and, and to kind of upstep one, one another. Uh, so to give you a little history on this, Paul ministered in Corinth for about a year and a half. And he started the, that church. Uh, he helped it grow and he cared for those people and brought them up in the way of the Lord. And you can tell by the letter that he's writing that he loves this church. And there's no doubt that there were many saved in, under his leadership there in Corinth. And, and so he was there for a year and a half. And then Paul traveled to Ephesus to continue his ministry. And while he was in Ephesus, he sent one of his disciples named Apollo, a very wise and eloquent man, to go to Corinth to pastor that church. And we learned all about this in Acts 18 in the overview. Uh, but he became a prominent leader in Corinth. And just as Paul, there were definitely countless people saved during his time in Corinth. But there were also some Jews who were in the church of Corinth. Because at this point, there were Jews and there were also Gentiles going to the same church because of that unity that Jesus Christ had done whenever he was crucified. But it doesn't mean that they were all uh, unified. They were still going to the same place, though. Uh, So they were saved under the apostle Peter's ministry. And we don't know if Peter actually visited Corinth. There, There are no records or evidence that show that Peter was actually there. But there are scholars who believe that with the prevalence of his influence in that church and the fact that Paul even had to address this these groupies from Peter that maybe he did visit at some point. Either way, he had a very large following there, uh, large enough that Paul needed to address it. And then perhaps the most pious or devout group of all of them was the ones who believed that they really didn't need a sort of human leadership in the church. I, have, I am of Jesus, uh and for the for him to have to bring this group up uh it means that they probably had a pride problem they had a they had a problem with their heart they had the the name right i am of jesus but for him to bring it up it seems like there was a little bit more of more depth that was happening there so just, despite the specific instructions from the lord that requires human leadership in the church uh they may have felt that, that, wasn't, that, that they didn't need that. Um, and, and Paul was addressing it. So these factions that were created in the church, uh, I imagine that the leaders, those three leaders, had no idea that they were happening. Um, otherwise, it probably would have been addressed immediately and stomped out. But uh, this kind of preacher loyalty... Is very common today, uh, where church splits even happen over loyalty of one pastor over another, and I've seen it myself, and many of you have seen it. I don't. I don't know many people who have lived, you know, thirty uh, some years and hadn't seen that kind of split happening in a church. Uh, but it's pretty traumatic for everyone involved if you if you know what I'm talking about and. When a pastor retires or moves to a different church or if the pastor passes away, sometimes people just stop coming. They stop coming altogether. And God's Word is so much more important than the person teaching it. As long as they are teaching truth, uh, it is exactly what we are called to do as pastors. And as the church, we are called to listen, no matter who's giving that that sermon. Now, it is completely acceptable to have special affection for the, the pastor or person who discipled you and brought you up uh, in the way of the Lord. I, I think so highly. I don't know what that was. I, I, I feel so highly and my, my love for, for Michael is overwhelming because he 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 was there whenever I was very young at another church, and he he mentored me there. And then you know, as soon as he moves back, he's there with open arms to to teach me and help me and and um, be there for advice and and be a mentor to me. But uh, that affection can become inappropriate whenever pride and ego takes over. And I know from talking to some of my other pastors that it's a it's in very difficult for the pastor and the pastor's wife to find good friendship because people want to be friends with them for the for, for the ego. It's a hey, oh yeah, I I took the pastor and his wife out to dinner the other day. Oh, we had a great time. It, and and people Feed on that. That's our flesh. And so this is probably more common and more prevalent in like mega churches who have celebrity pastors. But Paul took no joy in knowing that he had a fan club back in Corinth. Uh, and, and he clearly wanted that to stop. So the last verse that we're going to be looking at today is verse 13. And this is interesting because we've been talking about the church as a whole and then so the heart problem that's in the church but then Paul kind of brings it into the individual on verse 13 he says has Christ been divided Paul was not crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul that's that's a that's something that is telling us to look in ourselves To look in each individual person in that church of Corinth as well as where we are today. Where where are we divided in ourselves? Paul's argument here is one that is centered and being one in Christ, in the church. And no human leader deserves the loyalty that belongs to God alone. Um, And we should really look at a divided church as a contradiction. It's weak. It's broken. It's not the body of Christ. And it cannot function the way God intended it to function. And like I said earlier, we live in a world of division. And it's really easy to find the outward divisions. But what about the inward, as Paul is addressing here? Was Paul or anything that you find to to be comforting or to bring you joy, Did that thing crucify itself for you? Were you baptized in the name of success or the world? No, absolutely not. And I know I was internally divided for a very long time. And I was on the fence. I had one one foot over on this side and one foot over on this side. And I wanted the assurance of salvation while still being able to dip my toe or my foot or sometimes my whole leg uh, in the world, in the ways of the world. And some of you here today may be in that same position. Some of you listening online may be in that same position today where you're just on the fence. You, you believe in Jesus and you love Jesus and and maybe you read your bible every now and then but i know for a very long time i was i was i was confused on what it meant to be all in it means to pull your foot out of the one and jump onto the other side of the fence all in and I want you to know that Christ has not been divided, as Paul asks. We, we have denominations in our churches, and denominations are okay whenever, you know, some churches feel like we shouldn't play with uh, instruments um, for worship. That's not a theological thing. That's not a, a salvation issue. It's not heresy. To say that they believe that, you know, their worship should come from their voice and, and not the instruments. We enjoy doing it. I, I, in, I feel like that's how one way that I can worship the Lord. But that shouldn't cause a division among people to, to, to basically hate each other or, or talk ill against each other. So Christ has not been divided and we cannot save ourselves. So we need a savior. And like I mentioned, some of you today, you, you guys might have your toe dipped in something that the world is trying to offer. Um, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography, maybe your salary is what you find uh, uh, salvation in, um, success, your status, maybe your good works. Those things cannot save you. Notice, I, I I picked three things that the world would probably consider. Well, that's that's rough, you know. Alcohol, yeah. People, we all agree that people have those issues. Drugs, yes, that's a very real issue. Pornography, yes, that's a very real issue. But then I offered four more: your salary, your success, your status, your good works. People can find in those things when they're hurting, but it's temporary. It is so temporary. The salvation of Christ lasts forever. And as long as you seek Him in His Word, you will find that joy and you will find that healing that all of these other things may offer temporarily, but then it just leads you back to those things again to get that fix. There's there's so much that is counterfeit in this world that simply causes disunity. And so I stand here before you to declare that there's only one that was crucified for you. And he's not of this world. And if you are on that fence, please, please come talk to me or talk to Pastor Mike. Um, because it may not be an issue of your salvation, but it certainly is an issue of of. Uh, of our heart and if we're being held back by sitting on the fence then are you you truly able to be used by our Lord and Savior to, to preach the gospel and reach out to others if you have salvation someplace else or what you feel is a worldly salvation someplace else don't be divided on Christ be all in be unified with him And you will find that peace and that comfort and that love and that happiness that everybody is searching for, but no one seems to be able to find out there. We have it right here. Let's pray.